Hi guys, and welcome to episode 10 of Convos on the Pedicab. I'm here with Niles Patel. Um, Niles is the owner of Fourth and Co. and the venue. So Fourth and Co. It's a bar in Fourth and Colorado, and the venue. It's a music venue on uh, Sixth and. Uh, thanks for having me, Alice. But it's at Sixth and Red River. Sixth and Red River, Niles. He's an entrepreneur. He owns multiple businesses here in Austin. I'm really happy that he took the time out of his schedule to come on the pedicab and talk to me. Um, so Niles, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, how did you get started with everything? Ah, well, thanks for having me again. Um, I am a 30 year resident of Austin, Texas. Came here to go to UT 30 years ago. Plan was to leave after three or four years and move on to somewhere else, but that didn't happen. Like so many other people, I got trapped in, in what this wonderful city has to offer and here I am started a couple of businesses way back in the day and that's grown into from hotels to bars restaurants uh, and an app development company at one point in time so well what other businesses have you started a couple of hotels holiday and express and a comfort suites here in town and then uh, multiple bars and uh, music venues that I've invested in over the years but 17 of them all all total Wow so your life has been pretty kind to you Niles it has been. It has been. It's it's fun. It's been a fun adventure. So so what um when did you realize that like the entrepreneurial way of life was for you? Like when did, when did the entrepreneurial bug bite you? Probably early on. My parents were entrepreneurs, so just kind of led that life. Grew up in that life, and that just had that was for me. Where where did you grow up? In Victoria, Texas. Okay, <laughs> so you grew up like near Corpus and stuff, right? Yeah, about an hour and a half from Corpus. Okay, cool, cool. Um, so. That being said, we're, we're in a pandemic, we are. Um, and a whole bunch of bars and restaurants have been closed. They've been shut down. Music venues aren't really operating right now. I mean, they're starting to a little bit now because they're becoming oh. restaurants. Um, how has this affected you, and how has this affected some of your friends who also own bars and venues? And also, like, how does this affect like, a lot of the bartenders, barbacks, and people in the service industry who depend on this type of traffic to make a living here? Oh. Well, the easy answer to that has been devastating to everybody um, in the music world in the entertainment world pretty much uh, whether it be bars restaurants live music venues whatever uh, you you pick to choose there uh, I'd say we go back to when this pandemic started back in March South by Southwest was right around the corner South by Southwest is a huge money maker for almost every business downtown everybody yes uh, and that was taken away that, that's not only just bar owners restaurant owners venue owners that's pedicabbers that's bartenders that's everybody that's that's related valets, people like myself hotels, yeah. everyone in the downtown sector was was affected by the cancellation of south by southwest um it, it's huge some bars depend on south by southwest to make it through the rest of the year the money that they get the windfall of money that they get from that makes the entire rest of the year worth doing um, unfortunately that was all gone this year and there's been very little help from the city and the state as far as bars and restaurants are concerned. No, I, little or none. I, I, I agree. It's like almost that they just literally forgot about all of us and just pretend like we don't exist or we don't matter right. at all. You yeah. know, um, it, it's it's almost like a giant slap in the face to the city of Austin, in my honest opinion. It is. And if you look at it, what's the moniker of the city of Austin? It's the live music capital of the world. 
Yeah, well, and it used to be. Well, uh, now it's becoming the homeless capital of the Southwest. So you know, it's, yeah, absolutely. It, it's it's unfortunate what's happening. Um, what's even more unfortunate is the the mixed messaging that was sent by the city. You know, um, in the beginning, Adler didn't even want to sh- um, cancel South by. Do you remember that? Oh, I remember very clearly because on one day, I think it was March the 4th, he said that he was not going to cancel South by Southwest, that he was going to make sure that we were take extra precautions to make everyone safe, but that it would not be canceled. So with that, we re- my accountant and I released a bunch of checks for uh, deposits that we needed to produce some of the events that we had going on for South by Southwest. Then two days later, he canceled everything. So how much money did y'all spend doing that? And did you get your money back? Didn't get any of the money back. Close to one hundred and ten thousand dollars. So you spent one hundred ten thousand. So what did you spend one hundred ten k on? Well, there's all types of stuff. The production that goes on to put on some of these large scale events. Some of our events were, you know, going to see three thousand attendees on a given day. So and you just lost one hundred ten k. Pretty much. And the city has no regard for the fact that you spent this money because you were getting misleading information. Don't care. They don't care. No. Don't care. No. And, and then. Um, Adler made a video telling people to go out and support a bunch of local businesses Correct. with um, Sarah Eckhart and um, Kirk Watson. Yes. And then like a week later or something, everything just closed. That's it. That's pretty much it. Every, everything closed. Um, yeah, first they canceled South by Southwest, which I understand the reasoning behind No, I get that. it. And I, I, get that, that, honestly, he probably made a good decision. Like, I hate to say it, but he probably made a good decision. And it's probably one of the only good decisions that Adler made this past <laughs> year was... Um, canceling this and, and as yep. a pedicabber I'm comfortable saying that right but it was cancel that and then you know everyone stay you know go downtown all the locals should continue to go out and support uh, and we were able to put together quite a bit of a lineup again with local artists and local talent which would make sense which something. would make sense and I, th- I think that if they just kept to that we would never have had a big outbreak anyway because locally correct. we always had this relatively contained Correct. I, uh, I think up until correct. all the riots started happening, right. that, that's when it started to get out of control because, you know, tens of thousands of people were protesting and chanting and coughing on each other in a pandemic, and then it started to, like, get out of control. But like, Right, but um, even then, it wasn't acknowledged that it was the, the, the rioting or the protesting. No. It was, you know, it was the bars that did it. It was the bars, so. yeah, 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 yeah. So it's like, okay, um, you have no regard. So, like, here's the problem with Adler and the, the council with all this stuff. It's like, you have no regard for the, um, the well-being of like these bars and live music venues that make up the core of the city that literally are the reason people come here and, and pay these exorbitant taxes and exorbitant rates to come here. You, you literally have no regard for these, uh, these venues that are literally feeding you. You're biting the hand that feeds you, so to speak. Um, and then, not only that, but you have the nerve to blame that source of income for the problems that we're having without any justifiable evidence. Yeah, I don't know how they can actually justify it. I mean, is it true? Who knows? But they they can't just pinpoint and say bars and restaurants cause this. No, and to I mean, happen. I'm uh, sure it definitely helped a little bit and contributed. Absolutely. I mean, people are going out, they're drinking, they're like touching each other, they're socializing. They're not like, you know, it's not like people who go to bars um, regularly li- like exhibit the healthiest life choices. So yeah, I'm sure that like you're gonna see an increased number of cases. Absolutely. From but, that, but, but to going just to blame Walmart and going to HEB does the same thing, right? You, there's there's a thousand people at a Walmart. No, that that, is, that, that, that that is true. But people in HEB were also the people who are going to Walmart and HEB were might not be doing it by choice. They might be doing it because they just Fair. have to be like Fair, they're doing it out of necessity and they're super cautious and they're all wearing their masks and they're doing all that stuff. And look, that's no way to live. But in terms of like spreading a virus, it's comparing apples. It is kind of like comparing apples to oranges. Um, but 
you know, when you have tens of thousands of people protesting and getting tear gas and coughing on each other in a really close proximity to one another, and then you, and then you don't even factor that into spreading this virus, you're being dishonest with how you're um, covering this narrative. And when you're dishonest about how you cover a narrative like a deadly pandemic, people are less likely to trust you. And then as a result, people are going to be less likely to actually exhibit the proper safety precautions. So you're actually like, you're really harming public health when you do stuff like that. I agree. I agree. And, and I'm not saying anything against protesting. I think there's a lot of like racial issues that we need to address. Absolutely. And it's, I, it's our right to protest. Yes. And everyone should do it. And everyone should have done it in a safe manner. But at, at this point in time, we might should have waited a bit. Waited for the pandemic to slow down a bit before we were doing all the protesting. Yeah, or, or at the very least, just acknowledge that. You know, like if our city were to say, "Hey, man, um, our our racial inequality is is so bad that people are willing to risk their lives and the lives of others in droves in order to protest this," we need to like come up with some actionable solutions immediately so that people can um, stay home and protect public health. If they just said that narrative. It would have gone over so much better than to just ignore the fact that protesting with 10,000 people together is not going to, like, spread a deadly virus. Right. Does that mean, you, know, you know what I mean? Like, obviously, we need to, like, address this. There's a lot of systematic race, racial yeah. issues that we no, have I to address. Like, that's obvious, man. Like, and I'm, I'm, I'm talking to, like, an Indian. You're Indian or what? what I'm Indian. Yeah. I'm, I'm Indian. talking to an Indian American next to me in my pedicab. I'm sure you've dealt with a lot of racism and stereotypes. I have. I was yeah. actually born in India and I've been through the whole naturalization process. I uh, had to immigrate here. Obviously, I was my parents' choice. I was far too young to make that decision, but I had to come here and, you know, earn my citizenship. Yeah. So, and I've dealt with plenty of racism in my time. I grew up in Victoria, Texas, small East Texas town. Uh, we're the first Indian family there. So, I was a novelty, if you would. I, I bet, yeah. That town. Yeah. And look, I, I'm a Jew and that's you're almost a novelty in Texas also. Yeah. So it's, you know, I, I understand all of that stuff. Like, th that, like I, I get it. We, we have a lot. There are a lot of um, serious racial problems that we need to address. Mm -hmm. But there's got to be an actionable um, way in which we should be addressing that. And, you know, when people are protesting in droves in the middle of a pandemic, our city officials should just acknowledge that and say, hey, we need to come up with some actionable solutions quickly for the necessity of public health, but nobody did that. And that's why people aren't trusting the narrative with COVID. It's because our city officials are not being transparent with us. I would agree with that. They, they haven't led in the right direction. Uh, similar to what you just said, if, if they would have taken, taken action towards that and just spoke out and said, you know what, everyone relax. Uh, we've, we've got issues, we've got to deal with them. We'll come up with solutions for them. I think just acknowledging that would have put a lot of people somewhat at a, at a better comfort level and slowed down some of the protests. Agreed. And it would have slowed down the spread of this virus, too. Yeah. And it would have allowed um, these venues to stay open and be open safely. And it would have allowed us to actually recover in a way that's going to be um, sustainable. Right. And right now, nobody knows if our recovery is going to be sustainable. That's all a guessing game at this point. It's all a guessing game. So anyway, Niles, um, what was the process? So you had to reclassify as a restaurant in order to um, reopen re again. Yes, I reclassified Fourth and Co as a restaurant, which we have a full kitchen. And your food is amazing, by the way. Like that burger <laughs> is like my new favorite thing to eat right now. So. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So well, what? Yeah. So come check out Niles's Burgers, Fourth and Co. Highly recommended. Thank you. Appreciate that. 
But at the venue, we were recently just classified ourselves as a restaurant uh, with a food truck option there. So, but these are all things that are temporary solutions. I mean, we're actually just kind of tweaking the way we do business in order to open up. I mean, it's still a bar. Yeah. It's still a live music venue. I'm not going to lie, though. Like, knowing that you have food available at your disposable all night is not the worst thing in the world, too. It's not. It's not. Yeah. It's absolutely not the worst thing in the world. It, it does keep people there a little longer. Uh, but ultimately, people are a, a lot of venue owners, bar owners, are going to somewhat manipulate the numbers well, in we, order to make this all uh, work yeah, as course, a restaurant. Of course. Of course. And that's to be um, expected. Yeah. Um, so here, here's the other question. Like, what, what, but what was the process of reclassifying as a restaurant like? Because we had a discussion about this at your bar like a month or so ago. And um, you told me that it was not that difficult to do considering these new rules. And I was wondering why other bars haven't done that already. Yep. Well, it was a fairly easy process. I, I hired an attorney to do that for us. Um, oh, so of course it was easy because you hired someone. <laughs> well, anyone could have done it, but the attorneys have direct contacts with TABC, and so they kind of move the ball forward a little faster than, than doing it yourself. Uh, there's a fee. Of course, there's a fee with TABC. I think it's $750 okay. or something, $700 something. Dollars. Uh, and then the fee to the attorney if you handle it through that method. But you have to have food. You have to sign an affidavit saying that you're going to sell a certain amount of your revenue is going to come from food. Uh, only 60% of your revenue can come from alcohol sales. 40% Combined 40% has to be either from a ticket, a sale of a t-shirt, food, soft drinks, or whatever it might be. Anything other than alcohol. Um, and then you've got to try and maintain those numbers. And for some bar owners, maintaining those numbers is going to be manipulating the system. Well, I mean, because if you order a, a vodka soda, like you're, you bought soda. You did. Yeah, so, you know, you bought you bought yeah, soda. Yeah, and there are plenty of bars trying to do that, saying, "Hey, that there's four dollars of soda in there and three dollars of yeah, 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 alcohol yeah. in there." So, but in the end, that all really just kind of takes away from the, what the state is going to make. Um, if you look at it from the perspective of what TABC's taxes are, or the state's taxes on alcohol are, that's fourteen point nine five percent. The state's taxes on anything else, or regular sales taxes, eight and a quarter. The state's so, losing money by this. Yes. Every time someone kind of manipulates their numbers to show that, hey, you know what, that bur you bought a burger and you got a really cheap beer, you paid eight and a quarter on the burger. And you paid like two bucks paid, on the beer, yeah. 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 I so mean, the state's yeah. going to lose 6.7% yeah. uh, tax on every transaction that's Yes and no, but they might also get more taxable revenue because people might just order more things at these venues. Maybe I think that's a long shot to think that. But they're also just—they also just want to get some revenue. It's—it's it's, right. it's a something is better than nothing. It, it's point. a compromise, you know what I mean? Right. It also gives Abbott an excuse not to pay out the six billion dollars that he's sitting on to actually help these venues. Yep. Um, so there's there's that. There's also the fact that like, how much money do you have to spend per weekend to get ready for a weekend in terms of drinks and all that stuff? Well, we just reopened the venue um, just to kind of get everything back up and going. It was about a seventeen thousand dollar expense. And so what were you spending those 17K on, though? Well, a lot of it's just <laughs> replenishing what we had as far as inventory of uh, beer and alcohol. Beer, obviously, most alcohol stays good for an extended period of time, but beer doesn't. Yes. The last time we were open was in March. Yeah. So I'm not going to try and serve people nah. beer that's yeah. seven, <laughs> eight months old. Nah, nah, nah. So all of that's just kind of replenishing <laughs> what we have uh, in our inventory. Right, but like... Um, I know that bars have to spend a certain amount of money to stock up on supplies every weekend. 
and then Abbott closed the bar, reclosed the bars for a second time on a Friday when they already spent a bunch of money stocking so, uh, up for the weekend. It, it yep. just seems really inconsiderate of the governor to do that. Oh, absolutely. And some of our uh, suppliers did the honorable thing with, because they could afford to is purchase back some of the beer that we bought. So well, that's good. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, they were able to purchase it back because they knew they would be able to sell it back at a liquor store or at a convenience store or something along that line. So that's something they didn't have to do, but some of our vendors did that for us. But you're absolutely right. Abbott didn't think twice about shutting us down again and what that cost. Uh, no, and then he him. talks about being pro-business and whatnot. I'm like, that's like literally the yeah. most anti-pro-business thing you could yep. do is not have any regard for the concerns of a small business that's already struggling in the middle of a pandemic. You right. know, it's, Make it's, them spend money to get ready to open and then shut them down so they have no revenue. So yeah. they can't pay these bills. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it, it quite frankly makes me think that Greg Abbott doesn't want to be governor anymore. Perhaps that, that's yeah. my, my my honest opinion on that. Yeah, you know, he's probably shooting for president. Yeah, no, good luck. Yeah, uh, good luck with that, Greg. It's yep. it's not happening. But you know, the, I just wanted to know what like how, how much you would how much do you actually have to spend per week until order supplies for that? It just depends on the size of your business. Uh, if the venue is open on a regular basis restocking things is between five and seven thousand dollars a month if it's uh, sorry oh, a week dude yeah if so it's, it's every weekend okay that's a lot of money it is absolutely you know and, and i think that if you're, if you're going to tell someone that they can't operate their business if they can't open if, if you're going to shut them down after they've made x number of expenses for that time period and you're not giving them enough notice dude that's a human rights violation you've got to yep. give them just compensation that that's un-american not to do that yep and the state has not come out with anything. There are several different groups in town that are working towards getting financial assistance to live music venues, to bars, restaurants, all of that. But it's a joke. But the efforts are definitely there. But, yeah, it's it's a big pushback, it seems like, from city council and everyone else. It's not even a pushback. They're like, oh, we, we need to scrounge together a change to make to give the uh, music venues, what, $5 million for everybody? Yeah. I'm like... Dude, these are the, the venues that should be priority number one. They are the most affected by this decision for for closing right. down. We are a service industry town. The reason that a, a lot of people in Austin are able to even afford to continue staying here with all the rising housing costs and the rising rent prices is because they're able to make a very comfortable living being in the service it's industry. You are like, the city says all this progressive, um, all, all these progressive platitudes, but then they're literally, um, they're literally destroying the livelihoods of the workers that they're claiming to care so much about. And it, they, it's no more obvious than in terms of how little aid they're giving to these bars and music venues. Yep, yep. We were approved for a grant from the city uh, back in early August. Okay. Still hasn't funded. So here we are. In October. Two months, well, how much is the grant for? 45000 we have to pay, did you have to pay any of that back or what's no it's a grant so as long as it's used for the right purposes we don't have to pay that back but that covers one month of expenses for me and why haven't they given that to you if you they already approved it don't know don't know it's just the process of getting getting you know through the city with uh, it's interesting i mean we're, we're gonna sh i'll share that little clip on instagram and hopefully we can expedite that yeah, it should uh -huh. come soon I, I've, I've been told it's in in the process and it should be i should be getting it soon so we'll see. But again, it, that, that covers one month of expenses. We'll and we've been closed for we'll seven see. months. Um, I, I, you know, I'm looking at like, what they've been spending their money on. And I, I saw this community impact thing, and I showed it to you like, right before we went on. Yep. And Greg Kassar said that he tried to champion $50 million to help struggling small businesses. Um, have you received any 
of those $50 million that Greg Asar has been championing? To this point, no. Do you know, have, have any of your friends been receiving any of the $50 million that Greg Kassar claims he's actually uh, have been allocating to struggling small businesses in Austin? I know of no one that's gotten any assistance yet. All right. Thank you, Niles. I'm really glad we uh, got a chance to clarify that on uh, live television. Yep. Cool. All right. Good to know. Yep. Um, all right. We are um, we're going to pivot a little bit, okay? Cool. So... Um, that's the word of the year, isn't it? Dude, pivot. pivot every, they're over <laughs> pivoting and moving goalposts. It's pretty ridiculous. But anyway, how, how come more venues haven't opened up since it's been a lot easier to just reclassify as restaurants? Well, you still do have to be able to produce food there um, at the venue so you or at the particular location. So you have to have some sort of partnership with a kitchen. A food truck. Or a food truck. But not all uh, locations have a food truck or the capability of having a food truck available. But there are so many food trucks, even on Rainy Street, that you could literally get one of those food trucks to go outside handlebar and couldn't you just literally collaborate with a food truck right outside handlebar because now can you just have a food truck like right outside that bar and there you now you can't they've made the rules even more lax now. yeah so it's, it's not even just having a food truck there it's a matter of just being able to order food and having it in your bar yes uh, or you could just make a cheese plate or you can sell chips or whatever it might be uh, so more and more bars are, are going to that process but it's also a backlog with TABC because now everyone's filing to make that change to get a food beverage license and there are thousands of people trying to do that. Right, so you, you're you legally able to but you're not opening until they approve, until the, they paperwork. approve the paperwork. Yeah, government. So, the yep. government. Until they cash your $750 or $770 check. And, and you don't know how long, it's gonna, how long you're going to even be able to wait to do that. Correct. Yeah. They say it's about a two-week process. But it's but, not. If everyone's doing it, it's yeah. it's not a two-week process. That's it's not. And it's have, a two-week process if you if you know a lawyer who's connected right. with TABC. And right. then how much did it cost for you to hire the lawyer and do all that? That's another seven hundred fifty bucks. So that's, wait, only yeah. seven. So you only paid fifteen hundred to do that? Fifteen hundred is what I paid for Fourth and Co. But that was back. We did that back in end of June, July. But it was a little bit frame. harder to do that back then, right? It was a little bit more difficult because you had to have a kitchen. Yeah. And you had but to sign affidavits don't. and you had to do a lot of different things right. for it. Uh, now it's a lot simpler to do. But just because it is more simple, there are so many more people, people trying to do it. So there's a backlog. Okay, but still, TABC you, didn't hire any additional people to handle this paperwork. Yeah, that's that would be too logical. Yeah, it, it's mind it's mind boggling. Um, and then our county judge said that bars can't reopen, right. even though like our hospitalizations are still yeah it's gone up a little bit, but it's it's still under control enough to have bars open until 11 p.m. You know, like the, the right. rule literally says bars have to close at 11 p.m. And they're not opening and they're not letting them open because of coronavirus. Like you're not going to um, engage in reckless behavior before 11 p.m. to right. even get that virus. Yeah. Usually, you know, that's a pretty smart virus if it knows that you know at 11 p.m. it has yeah. to go to bed. Yeah, or right. It can come I, out. I, I don't so. know, man. It's uh, it, it's a frustrating thing. And luckily, um, you know, enough places have been classified as restaurants. It's I'm able to kind of make a living and do okay right now. And you're doing good. And, and a lot of bars have like been able to I, I like I, I feel like probably two-thirds no three-quarters of the bars I've seen downtown are open now that's probably pretty close yeah it, um, but the music venues aren't and these music venues are a staple of Austin and nobody is doing we're doing so little to help these music venues music venues are a staple of, of Austin I, yeah uh, again it, it's supposed to be the live music capital of the world yeah but instead uh, we're like you know the homeless capital of the Southwest because we're spending sixty million dollars this year on homeless services. Right. But you can't afford to um, 
give a little bit of money to these venues and these bars to keep them open because, and help the people in our service industry when Austin is a service industry town and this is one of the only industries where average everyday people like myself can make an equitable living without having to break our backs. Oh. It's... I mean, honestly, I'm I'm kind of I'm disgusted by it. Like, and and this is I don't like to get emotional when it comes to this stuff, but um, I I so a while back when they first did the homeless thing, right? Um, people wanted me to like sign the recall petition and do all that stuff to get Adler out, and I, I wasn't I really wasn't interested in doing that because I didn't see it having an effect on my day to day life, mm-hmm. and and I don't think the homeless really have that much of an effect on my day to day life right now, but when you're going to tell me that I can't make a living and you're going to tell my friends that they can't make a living and then um, use the money in your reserves to just enable homelessness instead of helping the people that you put out of work? Dude, I am signing that petition and, I, and I'm using this platform to encourage everybody I know who's watching to sign the petition to get Adler and our sitting city council members out of office. Yep. So that's... I'm willing to sign. I will get a petition for you later, but I, I will have one for you. That being said, if you're a sitting sitting council member, you're so welcome to come on my podcast and have a real civil conversation and change my mind. This is the spirit of pedicapping is about welcoming everybody. Um, but as it stands right now, I don't want any of these people representing me at all. I, I feel let down just as much. So yeah, I, 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 I agree. I, I don't want these people representing me. Um, all right. Why aren't the movie theaters opening? That's what, that, that is something I never understood. I don't know. I guess it's a matter of just keeping being able to keep people separated. But people are separated. Like, it's the movies. It's the movies. You sit in your seat, and you just like you go mingle around and talk to people. You're watching a movie in your seat. Oh. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not and, sure what the and, answer and to like, that is. Look, dude, Violet Crown is, like, one of my favorite movie theaters. It, it's a great place. Yeah. I love Violet Crown, dude, and, and it hasn't been open in, like, eight months. And, and like Coal Town Theater isn't open either, and like the Improv Place. And I'm just like, dude, play and connection is how you um, heal an emotional disconnect, which we need desperately now more than ever, Niles. And these 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 venues too, they're allowed to open, but they're choosing not to. And there's got to be a, a, some kind of a self accountability that goes into this, also. Right. Well, we also have to figure out what it takes to open up one of the venues, right? Like at the venue, if we have a large show going on, uh, the production of what the cost of the DJ is or whether it be a live band or whatever that might be plus all of the other production that goes into it it's expensive to open up it's not just those supplies that we have to buy I mean there are times where the cost of the show is ten fifteen thousand dollars to put everything on yeah and then and, and then for a limited capacity it's incredibly difficult it's to not make good, your money yeah that, that's another reason why I think these yeah. music venues haven't haven't opened up because yeah. of that but then no one's giving them aid and to be honest I, I feel like they should be pushing back and saying look if we don't get real meaningful aid we're just gonna open and we're going to open at full capacity until you give us aid. And they, they, there's got to be a pushback from these music venues, and there hasn't been. And that's kind of been disappointing that they've just been taking it. Yeah, there's, internally, there's been a lot of work going on. The Red River uh, Cultural District has been um, spearheading a, a big movement to try and get funding coming from the city, uh, get, get money put aside. It's got to be more than five million, coming. though, dude. It's got to be like thirty or forty or fifty million. Like yeah. it's got to be it's, in it's that. It's got to be a much bigger number. I, th- yeah. I think it's in the twenty million. Now, I might be off on that, but I think that's what the ask is, somewhere in that range, um, to get to all of the live music venues. And I believe there's fifty-two live music venues, classified live music venues in Austin. Well, so keep, that would actually do something. Yes. Uh, to well, be able keep, to keep them alive. Keep me posted on that because any t- any any type of activism regarding that, I want to be at the forefront of it. I will. I will. 
Um, yeah, please keep me posted on all that. Um, so w what do you think the agenda is with all this stuff? I don't know, man. There's a lot of different theories out there, but having the homeless people on, on 6th Street and uh, all around downtown, you know, has definitely affected business. Uh, even prior to COVID, our businesses were, most of our businesses and bars and live music venues were dramatically affected uh, by homelessness being, being downtown. Um, those property values are going down and there are people out there, developers out there and who knows who they exactly are, but there's a lot of developers buying a lot of property in downtown right now. There are. I, I know at least nine or 10 different properties on 6th Street that have exchanged hands just within the past year. Really, and that's unprecedented to see that much activity as far as sale of businesses, real estate, I should say, uh, on Sixth Street in a one-year period. Yeah, usually you'd be lucky if you see one or two in a year. Exactly. exactly. Has, it, has it been like the same company, or what's the Stream Realty? I believe is the prop is the uh, group that's bought most of the property downtown, or on Sixth Street. And then you got to wonder how much they've been contributing to our city council's campaign chest. Yeah, that I'm not sure, but I mean, all of a sudden one company comes in and buys that much property in, in one year, and I haven't seen that much transact in past 10 years. It, it, it doesn't seem uh, like, you know, for a progressive city council that this is the right way to reduce, uh, you know, income inequality, but hey, that's just me, right, Niles? Right. Yep. You know, and when one uh, major real estate firm is buying up, what, nine properties in a one-year period and exploiting struggling small businesses and just expediting gentrification, like, come on, man. It's, it's kind of sad that people haven't really, like, that not enough people have been waking up to what's actually happening with this. Yeah, I think most people just, you know, it glides right past them. They don't, they don't care. It doesn't affect them, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't affect you until it does. Right. It doesn't affect but, and you. And this is affecting a tremendous number of people that make their livelihood in the entertainment world in downtown Austin. And also, when, when you destroy small businesses, you actually, um, not only are you perpetuating more income inequality, but you're also like, you also increase discrimination when you have yeah. less small businesses, because then it makes it a lot easier for you to um, be a victim of discrimination. Right. Um, you know, like some, you could like, you know, let's say you only have like a, a small number of like, uh, places to choose from in terms of where you're going to work. Right. Uh, and let's say there's like an, uh, an abundance of racism amongst the owners of those venues and you're a person of color. Well, you're a lot less likely to have a job because now you have less choices where if you had more choices, you're more likely to find somebody who's accepting yeah. of you. And like, just for me, man, like, look, you know, I'm a straight white guy, maybe a Jew, but that's, you know, luckily I'm don't feel very like oppressed or persecuted right now mm -hmm. um right now in texas keyword um but you know i've struggled with like multiple learning disabilities as a kid you know what i mean and um i'm not like like i you know i've struggled with like multiple learning disabilities and i've you know i have like adhd and it's difficult for me to like stay focused and do, and, and certain things are not as easy for me as it is for other people. And the reason I'm able, like a big reason why I'm able to be successful and do okay here is because there are such an abundance of choices for me to exercise that I can find a boss or an employer or um, just individual people that'll still help me make a living in spite of what I have had to overcome. And you know, when you take small businesses and you take that stuff away from people, you're like hurting not only are you hurting like minorities and people in the lgbtq community and whatnot but like you're hurting like people with 
disabilities, man, when you do that stuff. Like, the more small businesses you have, the easier it is for somebody um, who is not, like, quote-unquote, you know, aligned with the status quo to be able to, like, find work and make a living and live comfortably. So it's like you're doing the exact opposite of what you claim you want to do, and that's, that, that's what I've noticed with all this stuff, you know? Yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree. I mean, let the businesses open back up, support them, and we'll all make this make it through this together. Yeah, and, and we have to be smart about how we exercise public health. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you, you have, so, you, so speaking of public health, you have like families that are like family that are like doctors, right, or nurses or something like that, or I have a great deal of medical professionals in my family. Yeah. Do you want to share a little bit about that? Uh, well, I mean, there's both sides, right? Some of them, you know, think that the pandemic is a l- greatly exaggerated. Some of them think that it's not, but I think for the most part, it has been based on what my family has told me and the physicians in my family have told me is that we could have gone through this a lot better and that numbers are greatly exaggerated. As far as the number of deaths, um, many of them, many people have been coded as dying from COVID, uh, but they really were suffering from some other ailment. COVID might have pushed them over the edge, but that wasn't the only reason uh, for their death. Yeah, and I know that 94% of people who died of this virus had serious pre-existing conditions and you know look um we are in a health crisis i mean that's the truth like we're like the obesest nation in the united states like we do not have good lifestyle habits no we don't we don't and we were talking about this earlier is that you know the government hasn't you know it's pushed all these other things that we can do wear masks stay multiple feet apart from each other which we all should do as much as we can obviously but I haven't seen very much effort behind from the government to say, hey, you know what? Exercise regularly. Take your vitamins. Eat, eat better. Yeah, um, it, it was only now diet. that um, Anthony Fauci suggested taking vitamin D eight months into the pandemic. Yeah. I'm like, oh, now you're telling us that? Like, we already knew. But yeah, then we already knew that. Um, <laughs> posts about vitamin D were, like, being censored on Twitter, like, in the beginning. Do yeah. you remember that? Like, yeah, it's, absolutely. Absolutely. But if we just had generally a better lifestyle, healthy, healthier lifestyle, then I think... That would have been another great way of reducing this pandemic. I agree. So, Niles, what's your um, being that you have a family of physicians? What's your take on mask wearing? Because that, that that's another topic that's been extremely politicized on both sides of the aisle. Well, I think if it's the proper mask, it works. But right now, I mean, you know, it's not even considered a mask. It's just you have to have your face covered somehow. Yeah. And that that doesn't necessarily do it. You know, well, N95. If you're going to make it mandatory, I personally would say that you know it, it should be an N95 mask. Yeah, that's true. And look, I think that any cloth covering will, um, if you're asymptomatic, it probably will um, reduce the amount of particles that sure. you transmit to somebody else if you're a carrier. Um, Anything is going to help reduce it. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, agreed. But, but there's also, I think, a time and a place for when you wear a mask and sure. when you don't wear a mask. And I just want to know what your take on when you when you should wear it and when you shouldn't wear it and what the whole discussion, how the discussion you think should be framed. Well, if you're in a enclosed building i guess it's more important to wear it where you don't have you know fresh air um, involved as much uh, if you're close to people you don't know obviously yeah, well, we know so each other we're, we're pretty yeah, tight so we're yeah pretty tight but um you just got to practice general good use your best judgment <laughs> i guess is the best way to put it but as far as what i'm concerned is if i if i don't know someone then i'm gonna wear my mask around them but if yeah. i know them i feel comfortable i, I know they're not uh, showing any symptoms of anything, and I know I can trust them to tell me that, yeah, I'm sick and I, I wouldn't be around you, then I'm comfortable without wearing it. No, I agree. And like I, I said this on numerous episodes, I wear my mask when I go to, like, the grocery store. I'll wear it when I go to the hardware store. I'll wear it when I, like, um, when I order a drink from your bartenders. I'll put my mask when I order a drink. You know what I mean? Or when yeah. I go into your bar 
or um, if I'm in a gas station or something along those lines, or um, if I'm like at, at a polling location with a bunch of people who are there not by choice, but maybe out of necessity, then yeah, put your mask on temporarily. But I think that prolonged mask wearing can definitely have some harmful health effects. I would agree. agree. Yeah. Uh, again, I'm not a medical professional myself, but I, uh, yeah, it does restrict breathing to a certain degree. I mean, you're, you're breathing your own air. You're taking in more CO2 than we normally would. So there has to be some adverse effects to this if it's prolonged. Yeah, prolonged. Yeah, yeah. And look, to wear it temporarily when you go like order food or when you're at a polling location or when you're at like right. a grocery store, that's fine. You're not going to get any crazy health effects right. from, from doing that. Um, but it, like, dude, like we on the way over here, we saw some lady driving a school bus with her mask on and no one was on the bus. Like, right. there's no reason for her to be wearing that mask while yeah, she's driving exactly. a school bus. Exactly. Um, I see like valets outside of hotels wearing their mask all the time. And I'm like, why don't you just have your mask right here and just put it on when you talk to somebody? And you know what I mean? Like that that seems like it's just a smarter approach because um, you're still slowing the spread. You're still being considerate of other people, mm-hmm. but you're also breathing in fresh air and helping your own immune system. So there just has to be a better discussion about mask wearing and when to wear, when and when, when not to wear. And then it'll probably help reduce the spread of this virus anyway and keep people um, healthier, both physically and emotionally. The emotional part is what we haven't been able to really judge yet, right? Like the physical part, we can... We can qualify there's x number of people that have been to the hospital there's x number of people that have passed away from this uh, but the emotional constraint that this is going to put on on people over the long term you know how are we gonna how do we quantify that no i don't know but um i could definitely see it happening um i so um, i was running for city council i dropped out to mm-hmm. endorse uh casey ramos somebody who i'm like very very confident in in terms of his ability to like represent me um but we were, I was there like handing out flyers and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I had a mask while I was there. 100% I had a mask. And I had it like on my chin, right? And then when, when I went up to somebody's car, I put my mask on, you know what I mean? Or like when I saw Casey's mom, I put my mask on because that's out of respect. Sure. Right? When I like went to the bathroom and I uh, saw people standing in line with my mask on when I was walking to the bathroom. Um, but, dude, I was seeing people like by themselves wearing their mask to drive their car and i saw a lot more people than i should have just driving their car by themselves with a mask on i see it every day yeah or like you'll see like a couple in the car and one person one the man has or the man has a mask or the woman has a mask and the man does not and i'm just like how miserable do you have to be in your marriage if you feel like you need to wear a mask around your own wife by yourself (laughs) dude like that's like i feel sorry for a lot of people who are um who are that frightened, who, who've just been that frightened by what's being pushed onto them. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. I, I don't understand it. I don't understand why you have to wear a mask when you're by yourself. Or well, some people think that. Dude. Yeah, you, well, well, here's the problem is, and the problem is that when, when, you're so, um, when you're so susceptible to suggestion and you're so um, easily influenced by um, what's being told to you, you're not, you know, and you make decisions solely based on emotion, you're just not going to do your own independent research. Right. And that's the problem. And that's on both sides, too, man. That's also like the fringe right-wing conspiracy nuts are also just as bad about that, if not worse, you know, thinking that, like, COVID isn't even real. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, there, there's, a, there's a big problem on that side of it, too. So um, you, you got to just understand, like, you got to just be um, an objective thinker, think logically, don't think on too much emotion, and try to have a clear, level-headed approach to this. And it's hard with everything that's being pushed at you on both sides, but just try to, like, digest the information um, as rationally and logically as possible and do what you think is right for you and the people around you and then try to communicate clearly and non-divisively. I think that's the best approach, you know? I agree. 
Anyway, Niles, well I think said. that we're uh, we're probably out of time. I know you got to be somewhere. Um, anyway, I really appreciate you coming. This really means a lot. I know you're yeah. super busy. You run multiple businesses. You're extremely successful. The fact that you're willing to come on this pedicab and talk about um, what you're going through, everything that you're dealing with, it it really says a lot about you, and it means a ton. Um, so anyway, that being said, we're about to wrap up this wrap up this episode. So uh, if you're downtown in Austin come to fourth and co it's a phenomenal accepting open place the burgers are delicious the drinks are phenomenal the bartenders are like some of the coolest people ever thank you and then if much. you want to hit up a show the venue is about to open when's it opening niles uh, i think we'll be open this saturday boom go yep. to the venue go to the venue see uh catch some amazing live music niles yep. you know thank my you. uh my buddy's a phenomenal he plays in this band called aquifer he's like amazing he's like the, they're gonna be like the next sublime dude i'm gonna play some tracks yeah. on the way yeah on the way back to the shop so let's do it connect us we'll see what we can work out bet let's make it happen all right niles thank all you right. thank you alex all right Appreciate we're shaking hands we're not worried about this we're good <laughs> we're building our immune systems all right